we have come to Palm Sunday, and I don't know how big of a deal y'all have made about Palm Sunday in the past. Uh, I've been in different churches for different uh, traditions that uh, people have done. Um, there was one year, even this one gal who had uh, who was in charge of the kids program at this one church we were at. Uh, she was convinced that everybody knew this one particular hymn, and all the children were supposed to file in and lay down palm branches, and it didn't happen the way she pictured it in her mind, <laughs> but that's okay. Um, well, today we're covering Palm Sunday, and uh, we're going to do uh, kind of a traditional look. Uh, we're taking a break from our study in Matthew, um, and we're going to take a look Sorry, I'm distracted now by, by the mess my children made here in the front row. That's okay. I'll be all right. So um, we're taking a break from Matthew, and uh, today we're going to look at, it's a really common passage uh, with the Palm Sunday story. Uh, if you're familiar with the Gospels, uh, Jesus had a ministry that lasted uh, three years um, from when he was baptized and came out of the wilderness um, and uh, then started his public ministry. Um, and at the end of that three years, uh, he uh, went to the cross to die for the sake of all humanity, uh, both past, present, and future. And so today, it starts Holy Week, and a lot of our brothers and sisters around the world, that's what they call it, um, and it's just this season, this moment in the, the year for us as a church where we get to remember Jesus going to the cross for us. I know we do that a lot anyway through communion and celebrating communion, uh, but this is a particular time where, you know, all the calendars align and we all say, okay, we're going to focus on this moment in the life of Jesus. And so this morning... Uh, you're taking notes. Um, you should have some notes on the back of your bulletin if you got one. Um, but the title for today's message is Salvation is Here. And our main passage today is going to come from Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 44. Um, and the big idea is salvation is here. Will you reject or receive him? Salvation is here. Will you well, will you receive or reject him? It kind of works both ways there. All right, uh, you can go to the next slide. So I want to, last week we talked about the restoration of a car. This week we're going to kind of talk about throwing a party or experiencing some kind of momentous festival-like event. Um, I know that Roadie Days is coming up. I don't even have an idea of what that's going to look like. And I'm excited. I hope you guys are excited too, or maybe you're uh, batting down the hatches. I don't know. Um, but all that to say, you know, in life, even as we come out of the season of the world shutting down and the pandemic and everything, everybody's starting to get back into this this gathering thing. And so... Uh, today, uh, this is the best picture of a big party that I could uh, find, but we're going to take a look where uh, in the life of your common everyday first century Jew, there was a big festival. 
it was like Fourth of July big um, festival called Passover. And that was a celebration of when God had, um, that God instituted for the people to remember how he saved them out of Egypt and was going to lead them into the promised land. And he gave them this certain, you know, uh, practice of uh, only eating unleavened bread and only, uh, you know, eating certain kinds of foods to remind themselves of, of all of this. And so, uh, and they would go every year to worship God uh, in this way in this time. And so Jesus, being a first century rabbi, um, and he had his, his group of followers, he was going to Jerusalem as well. And back in Luke chapter 9, I know we haven't covered that before, but there's this moment in the Gospel of Luke where um, Luke records that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. And from that point on in the Gospel of Luke, that's like Jesus knows the end is near. Jesus knows he's going to the cross. He knew that anyway, but he, Luke is cluing us into this. And now it's finally here. Jesus is about to get to Jerusalem. All moments have been leading to this moment. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Luke chapter 19. We're going to read from there and we're going to pull a, a couple of um, ideas out of the text there. Luke 19, beginning in verse 28, is up on the screen uh, if you'd like to follow along there too. All right. And when he had said these things, he meaning Jesus, when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away, uh, or so those who were sent went away ha, and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying this colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side 
and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. The first thing I see in this passage is there's a preparation that takes place. There's a preparation that takes place uh, which reveals the obedience that leads to readiness. There's a preparation, the obedience that leads to readiness. So in verses 28 through 34, Jesus, uh, he's been leading his disciples to Jerusalem for the Passover. Uh, They get near it and he gives them some instructions on what to go do to get things ready. You can go to the next slide. And to get things ready, um, there, you know, he gave very specific instructions. Go, do this. You're going to find this in the next town. Um, I was reading a commentary earlier this week, and uh, that particular uh, 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 theologian said, you know, Jesus probably... He had already made these arrangements ahead of time. He just told the disciples to go and carry it out. Um, But nonetheless, there's some preparation to be made. And so he says, go do this thing. And they did. They went to the next town up ahead. They found the donkey tied by the tree, just like Jesus said it was going to be. Uh, They started untying it. It happened just like Jesus said it was going to, where the person says, hey, what are you doing with my colt? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and um, and then from there, uh, they bring it back to Jesus. And all throughout this, the disciples, now, you know, they were kind of oblivious to what was going on. They didn't realize, uh, they were kind of clueless to the fact that this was going to be Jesus' last Passover. Um, Jesus had been dropping hints along the way as he was you know, leading them up to Jerusalem, but they didn't get it. Um, It was like there was this veil over their eyes. They just did not understand. It was like, Jesus, this is another mysterious thing you're saying. Um, I, I, I paraphrase and summarize with that. But I say that because they were just following the instructions of their rabbi, and they were practicing obedience. And that character of practicing obedience is something that Jesus modeled to them and was going to model to them by going to the cross. Uh, We find, you know, if we were to read on, uh, Jesus didn't really want to have to endure the cross. Uh, In the garden, uh, uh, you know, on the Mount of Olives, he, he said, you know, God, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, let it happen but not my will, but yours be done. And he modeled that obedience even to the cross. And we see that in in this this set-apart week right before Passover. And so there's an obedience that leads to readiness. So I have this picture up here, uh, you know, thinking of that throwing a party kind of idea. Uh, And there's a lot of preparations that go into making a party, is there not? Um, how many of you have thrown a party before? Okay. Um, sometimes it happens upon you and you're not ready. You're not prepared and it just sort of happens and you get through it. 
And other times, <laughs> probably after those kinds of experiences, the next time you throw a party, you start making different arrangements, kind of like when you go camping. Um, you know, at, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. And so, uh, you know, there are preparations to be made for a party. And with something like Passover that is remembering God's saving actions, there are preparations that need to be made. And whenever you, you submit yourself to, to planning the party, there's always preparation. And you are, are submitting to that process and that obedience to whatever that task is. In the same way, Jesus submitted himself to the task to save you and me through the cross. And when he was going to enter Jerusalem uh, this time, uh, you know, before he went to go to the cross, um, he was making preparations. And he was readying his disciples. He was getting things ready. And he was obeying and he was modeling for them to do that as well. And so that leads us to the idea that, you know, salvation is here in Jesus. Um, I read a quote that I had, I, I had recorded on Facebook six years ago when I was at an event down in California. Um, and somebody at the event had made the comment that salvation has a name. His name is Jesus. Now, you know, salvation is a noun, not, well, in, it's not, well, anyway. So salvation is not literally Jesus' name, kind of. But salvation is what Jesus came to do. And so, as the Messiah coming into Jerusalem, he was preparing the way of salvation. And it leads us to this contrast here in the heart, which we'll get to in a moment, of the passage where you can either receive him or reject him. Now, you can go to the next slide. Okay, celebration. This is the next thing I get out of our passage that I see, that there's a celebration that takes place, that Jesus is kind of, uh, I don't know, he's, he's uh, oh, what's the word? Anyway, he's kind of taken over the celebration a little bit. <laughs> uh, and so celebration in, in this passage is the joy of God's saving presence. They're celebrating Passover already. Um, everybody from everywhere who's a Jew is uh, converging upon Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And, uh, and at this festival, they are celebrating God's saving presence. And so when we read, for example, in, uh, where is it, verse 35 or 36, so the, the disciples, they, they set Jesus on the colt, um, and they, he's riding along. They spread out the cloaks on the road in front of him. And as he was drawing near, um, oh, uh, jump down to verse 38, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. They erupt in this worship, and this song actually comes from a common Passover song that's, uh, that has its roots in Psalm 118. I forget the verse number now, but um, anyway, so 
they were already celebrating Passover, God's saving presence, the fact that God came down way back when and rescued the people of Israel out of their slavery. And for these disciples who were following Jesus, they had taken note that he was doing all this miraculous stuff that they'd never seen happen before. Or if they had, it wasn't done in this way. It was with real power and with real authority that comes from the Holy Spirit upon Jesus. And so Jesus is walking in this way. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. He's teaching them with authority. Again, unlike the scribes and Pharisees, he's even, he's just speaking wisdom into situations where, you know, the scribes and the Pharisees try to trip him up and he gives a really compelling answer. And people are just amazed at Jesus. And so this whole crowd, this multitude of disciples, you know, maybe a couple hundred, but maybe more, they are following Jesus because they see in Jesus this this quality of being the Messiah that they had been waiting for, this Savior, this Deliverer. And so they're celebrating. They've already identified Jesus in this way, and they're seeing the connections unlike maybe some other people had. And so they're celebrating, and that's why when we get down to verse 38, blessed is the king, in Psalm 118, it says, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. But they're replacing it with the word king. And they're identifying Jesus as king. And they're declaring this. And so great is the celebration. It's just a beautiful scene. And they see God's saving presence in Jesus. They see salvation is here in Jesus, and that Jesus has arrived in their mind to set all things right, uh, they didn't realize that it wasn't going to be in the way they were expecting. And so usually at a party, there's celebration. Uh, This one has confetti uh, on this picture here, um, and people blowing confetti all around. Um, Believe it or not, when you look online for images for parties, uh, it's really hard to find some without Uh, Just uh, like a full-on rager. (laughs) Uh, It's amazing. Anyway, how does this apply to our lives? When you experience salvation, there's a freedom that happens in recognizing that God is with you and that he is rescuing, rescuing you or he is bringing that salvation into your life, that rescue and that hope of salvation. There's a joy that takes place. And there's a peace that overcomes you because really, ultimately, God's salvation brings us peace, that wholeness and completeness, that bringing back together, uh, that restoring us back to the way we were supposed to be in the beginning. And that's exciting stuff. And so for you and I today, thinking about Palm Sunday... When you came in, I don't know if you were in a very celebratory mood. I know I haven't been. <laughs> uh, full confession. It's been, it's, been a, it's been a better morning than last week, but it's been <laughs> quite a morning. And for me, I recognize that I still need God's saving presence in my life. 
and so do you. And when we go from this place and we, you know, we get on with the rest of our week, my prayer for you and for me is that God's saving presence would go with us and that it would produce in us a joy that is unmatched by anything else, that would just erupt from us because God has set us free. And yes, it's true that maybe you're here today and you accepted Jesus way, way back when. God is still saving you today. Um, that doesn't nullify that initial saving, but what it does do is it, it keeps it fresh in our lives. It's not re-crucifying Jesus. It's not doing any of that, but what it is doing is it's saying, God's salvation is for me today. And like the disciples, my prayer is that we would erupt with some kind of praise by receiving him and, you know, maybe laying down, you know, the things in our lives for his sake, like our cloak or, you know, celebrating with what we have at our disposal just to say, God, you're worthy. You're the one who saved me. You're the one who delivered me. I'm going to worship you. And that reminds us that salvation is here for you and for me today. Will we receive it or reject it? Now, next slide. But then comes the confrontation. That's the next part. There's this disappointment from our assumptions that I see in the passage because you have the Pharisees who weren't really in the Jesus fan club uh, that that's putting it lightly they were really perturbed at Jesus and the things Jesus was doing primarily because it was completely different than their worldview they were of the opinion and perspective that you had to do all the right things and then maybe then God would still keep you around and, you know, in order to honor God and worship God, you had to follow the law with the utmost scrutiny to make sure that you were lining your life up with God. And Jesus didn't operate that way. That wasn't the message that he was presenting to them. And we've talked about that over the last couple of months uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to, you know, hear more about that, go on our website, um, and you can catch up on that too. But <clears throat> things have kind of reached this boiling point. It's Passover. Everybody's supposed to be friendly with each other. Everybody's supposed to be joyous, remembering the Exodus and the Passover when God passed over um, the Israelite people because the blood was on their doorposts and everything, and that whole celebration. It's supposed to be good, and yet Jesus is riding in and there's this eruption of praise, which there would have been praise happening anyway because of all the Passover songs happening. And then the Pharisees say, teacher, rebuke your disciples because they're not having any of it. The Pharisees didn't, they weren't seeing it. They were disappointed in Jesus. If Jesus was going to be this Messiah, then it wasn't going to be a Messiah that was peaceful. 
It wasn't going to be a Messiah who was laying down his life as a sacrifice. It was going to be a warlike, you know, military campaign Messiah who was going to deliver them from the Romans. And that's not what Jesus did, was it? And so they were assuming something about God's word and their interpretation of God's word, and they were disappointed in Jesus. And that reminds me that sometimes I can get disappointed in what I expect from God, where I make assumptions about him based on whatever theology or perspective I've had where if God is doing something different than what I'm expecting, who needs to change? I do. Where if God is doing something, I need to look with fresh eyes at it and not get so hung up on all my preconceived notions and assumptions. Um, have you ever been disappointed in something in life? Like something that you thought God was going to come through in this certain way, and he didn't. That feels kind of not good. And so it's easy, especially on a day like today, when we're remembering Jesus and we're remembering his sacrifice for us, sometimes, even as people who have said yes to Jesus, there's kind of this recovering Pharisee on the inside of us that sometimes gets disappointed because we think God's going to operate in a certain way and he doesn't. Exactly like we think. And so here we have two different, we have a contrast between the way the disciples were responding to Jesus and the way the Pharisees did. Now with the disciples, they were, uh, you know, some of them had come from, you know, wild backgrounds, um, you know, certainly scandalous compared to the Pharisees' background, right? You know, there were tax collectors and sinners who were, were given up, all of that for the sake of following Jesus. And you have just this whole crowd of people who were following Jesus. They had, they had received whatever he was putting down. And then you have the Pharisees who, they were earnest in their devotion to God. Well, for most of them, at least. They really, they were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for the resurrection. They were looking for all these things, and they missed it because they got so hung up on all these things, and they confronted Jesus instead of celebrated him. Instead of recognizing that salvation was there, they decided to rebuke Jesus, really, and say, teacher, get your disciples in line. Come on. Um, and so for you and for me today, I think the challenge of Palm Sunday, as we celebrate this year in and year out, is to ask ourselves the question again. Are we positioning ourselves humbly either 
to receive Jesus, or are we positioning ourselves to reject him? And I can't answer that for you. I, I know as we were, you know, in uh, singing the songs this morning, I was challenged this morning. Am I in a position where I'm, you know, submitting myself to the Lord and saying, God, I want to receive whatever you have for me today, whether I think it's good or not. And so we have that tension, and I'm going to leave that with you today uh, in that because we're going on to the fourth and final observation I have, this, this thing I see, you can go to the next slide, is that there's this lamentation. I couldn't find a really good picture of Jesus crying on the, the internet or, or, you know, a good picture of like, uh, you know, a, a party sort of thing. We're, we're diverting from the party theme for today, for this one moment, because Jesus, uh, I found this meme pops up on my Facebook all the time of this lady who's crying and she's like, oh, and it, usually it's some funny meme, but I'm not it's not meant to be funny today, but it's just a connection point. I digress. So Jesus, we get to this point, and it's really this contrast where Jesus, he had stood up to the, the Pharisees. He said, I tell you, if these were silent, these disciples, then the stones would cry out, saying basically, you can't stop this. <laughs> you know, people are going to praise and they're going to recognize and all of that. But then as Jesus approaches the city, even after that really brave move to just be like, look, Pharisees, you got it wrong. <laughs> Jesus starts lamenting. He starts getting sad over the, the city of Jerusalem. And some things that I noticed. One is that in verse 42... He says, would that you, meaning Jerusalem, even you had known on this day the things that make for peace. Think about the Pharisees and people who maybe have adopted that, that mindset like the Pharisees that I need to do all these religious things in order to earn uh, a place in God's people and I need to do all these things to to earn salvation and my place in the kingdom. We've talked about that before, but think about those kinds of people. Jesus says, would that you had known on this day the things that make for peace. The only thing that makes for peace, true and lasting peace in our lives, yours and mine, is Jesus. His blood shed on the cross for my sake and for yours, to make peace between us and the Father. That's it. That's the only thing that really brings us peace. And they were expecting a Messiah who was going to go in guns a-blazing, or swords a-blazing, right? You know, they were expecting somebody who was going to, you know, rally the zealous people to rise up against Rome and deliver them and establish their their kingdom of Israel once again in the way they were thinking. And Jesus is despairing because he's saying, if only you'd know what I was trying to do. If only you could understand 
the things that actually give you peace. If only you would know. And then to, to follow that up, uh, in verse 44, uh, 44b, and, uh, you know, he's, he's foretelling, he's prophesying about how, you know, Jerusalem is going to get sacked later on. In, in time, they're going to get overthrown. Um, and he's talking about the temple. He's talking about the walls. He's talking about Jerusalem. And, uh, you know, they, meaning the attackers, will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. You have thousands of people flooding upon Jerusalem and they don't see it. They don't see Jesus for who he is and what he's going to do. So much so that, you know, the Pharisees whip the crowd into a frenzy and say, crucify him, crucify him. Who will you release? And they want Jesus to go and be executed, not this other guy, Barabbas. And Jesus is lamenting because these people are so lost they don't even see it. And sometimes, well, really, for all of us, at one point or another, we were that lost. And we needed the Holy Spirit to come and help us understand, to remove that veil from our eyes so that we could see Jesus for who he is and what he's done. Now, all these events took place so that Jesus would go to the cross. That was a fixed moment in time. It was going to happen in that place for everybody. Nothing was going to change it at that point. And Jesus is still despairing over the lost, saying, if only you'd known, if only you knew the time of your visitation, if only you knew I was here, if only you knew that salvation was here for you today and it was going to bring you peace, actual peace, peace like you've never even imagined before. You know, the peace of Rome, Pax Romana, that's got nothing on the peace that Jesus has to offer you. True and lasting peace. And so today, we remember Jesus going into Jerusalem. Salvation come. And the question is, will we receive him or reject him? I can't answer that for you. But I do know that as we come to the table today, we're going to celebrate communion together. And uh, hopefully you picked up one of these on the way in. Um, if you didn't, that's okay. Um, uh, we'll get you one. They're, they're on the, the back table there near the sound area. But... Um, these little cups of juice and a, a little wafer inside, they're a way for us to remember Jesus and all that he did for us. So, uh, before we, we do this, let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we see you for who you are. Almighty God housed in human form walked the earth to show us what it means to really be human, live a perfect life, and you went to the cross to die in our place. God, I think about your obedience, the way you prepared yourself and you prepared your disciples to be ready for, for the moment when you would give your life for all. And I'm humbled by that. I'm humbled because there's a lot of times, God, where I'm so proud that I just want to break out of the system and break out and be unruly. And so, God, I confess to you the times, God, when I'd rather not obey than submit to your voice. God, I think about the celebration of the, the disciples showed all of us for all of time, recorded in Luke's gospel. And I'm challenged, God, by the times when sometimes I get so wrapped up in what's in front of me that I forget to celebrate your goodness and your salvation for me. I think about the Pharisees and how, uh, Lord, as somebody who was uh, raised in the faith, sometimes I, I get so hung up on, on rightness and what I think uh, is the right thing or the right way of, of thinking through things. And so, God, I confess to you when I don't leave room for you, Holy Spirit, to speak and to move and to do what you want in my life. And God, I see you lamenting over Jerusalem and that time of your visitation to them when they couldn't see it. And I pray, God, that you would help me and my family here my brothers and sisters in Jesus, God, help us know what, what you're up to or at least be able to see it so that we can partner with you and participate in all the good that you have for us. Help us to not be Jerusalem at that time where they couldn't see what God was doing. And so, Lord, as we come to the table, we all are facing different things. Whether good or ill, maybe, you know, highs or lows, whatever it might be, God, we're facing a lot as a people, whether that's through sickness or, or relationships or, or anything else. And so, God, we come to the table with all of these things and we lay them at your feet we ask again for your mercy, Lord, that you would make your salvation real again to us in a new and fresh way. Recognizing, God, that you died once for all, for all of time. And we get to receive that. You offer that to us. And so, God, 
with the disciples, we celebrate you today. We celebrate your word. We celebrate your work on our behalf. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.